Welcome to church, our 4.30 p.m. service. We're so grateful and excited to be together with you tonight uh, as we jump into our message where we're studying the life of Jesus. And these last few weeks, we've been doing an overview of Jesus's life. That's why we call it the whole story. Uh, although it is an overview, you never go wrong focusing on Jesus, right? We've talked about who he is, what he did. Now I want to answer this question as we continue tonight. What now and what's next? What now and what's next? Because here we are in 2018 wondering what's now or what's next and, and what should we be doing right now? So uh, I want to talk about this. Sometimes in life um, you think that you have won a great victory and that you've achieved what it is you set out to achieve only to then find out you just got started. I read a book by the founder of Nike, Phil Knight, and he talks about how multiple times as he was starting his business, he felt like we've done it, we've achieved what we set out to do, but only then realized that the challenges were just getting that much bigger as he went forward. And I think this is what the disciples were experiencing in some ways after the resurrection of Jesus. They followed him around, they listened to his teaching. They saw him do miracles, and he claimed to be the Messiah who they were waiting for. Now, they went through a lot of ups and downs with Jesus, okay? We go through ups and downs in life. The disciples went through some major ups and downs. They watched Jesus claim to be the Messiah, and their faith in him grew. Then they watched him die for their sins, and they were incredibly disappointed, saddened, and, and you can imagine how difficult that would have been. They didn't know that he was actually going to rise from the grave. He told them he was going to do that, but they didn't believe him. They didn't understand, and you can't really blame them because nobody had ever done that up until that point. So they didn't know when he said, I'm going to rise again. They're like, is that a metaphor? No, he meant I'm literally going to die and rise again. So then he does. He rises from the grave, and they're like, yes, he did it. He is the Son of God the way that he said he was. This is amazing. We are winners. But then that really wasn't the end of the story for them, was it? So we're going to pick up Acts chapter 1, verse 6. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? He replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching. And they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. So the disciples are talking to Jesus. He has risen from the grave. And they're like, Lord, it's time. Establish your kingdom. These guys have been living under the rule of the Romans their entire lives. They had been oppressed, and that's all they knew from birth. And God's people, Israel, they had been oppressed a lot throughout the last hundred years, even leading up to this point. And so here's the Messiah, the person who will set them free, establish the kingdom of God on earth forever, and the disciples are ready. They're like, let's do this, Jesus. Is it time? 
And he's like, no. <laughs> so not only does he shoot them down, but he ascends into heaven before their very eyes. You can imagine what that was like for them, right? Jesus had been taken, and then he comes back from the grave. And now they see him. They got him. They're in relationship with him. And then all of a sudden, he's lifting up off the earth. And you can imagine for them, they're like, no, no, wait, no, no. And they're staring into heaven. They're like, is he coming back? Right? And, Finally, these angels appeared, and they're standing there among the disciples, and they said, hey, what are you looking at? Go get to work. Jesus told them, he said, you're going to be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, here in Jerusalem, where they're at, in Judea and Samaria, that's the surrounding region, and to the ends of the earth. And we know that their mission was successful because here we are on the other side of the earth in 2018, loving Jesus and worshiping his name. So you need to know, Jesus gave us our mission. Their mission is our mission. Tell people about me everywhere. Everything we do as a church is so that people far from God can experience new life in Jesus. Why? Because Jesus told his disciples, the time hasn't come. Go tell people about me. Go be a witness. You, as a follower of Jesus, are called to be a witness. A witness. Uh, have you ever testified in a trial? I have. A witness gives a testimony. A witness tells the truth. That's what a witness does for Jesus as well. He testifies, this is who Jesus is, and this is what he has done. And you can share your own testimony. This is what he's done in my life. He defeated death, and then he gave me eternal life spiritually. And you can tell people, this is my testimony. This is Jesus. We're supposed to tell people about Jesus, just like the disciples, right? Now, I want you to think about this. The disciples lived in this environment where just being known as a Christian meant that you could be imprisoned, beaten, tortured, and killed. Eleven of the twelve disciples were killed for their faith, and they were all tortured for their faith. We in America, we live in relative safety and security as Christians. Someone might make fun of you, but you're not going to be imprisoned or killed. And yet we tell less people than they did. They lived under the threat. They lived in danger, and yet they were telling people. Now I want you to think about this. We have the entire New Testament to study and to learn from. They did not have a New Testament. <laughs> they were studying the Old Testament scriptures. They saw them fulfilled in Jesus, and then the New Testament was being formed over the next couple of years there. Um, so we are more educated spiritually than they were, and yet we tell less people than they did. What I'm saying is if we're safer and if we have even more resources than the disciples did, why would we be telling people less than the disciples and this is a problem, especially with the American church. We have to just be aware of this. Americans, we can take for granted all of our safety and security, forgetting that Christians didn't always have that. Right. At one point, man, they were uh, facing the threat of danger, death, suffering, all kinds of things, just for being a Christian and telling someone, telling someone you were a Christian, telling them about Jesus could land you in jail. You didn't know if I open up my mouth and start telling someone about Jesus, are they going to call the police on me? Am I going to be arrested and lose my job? Am I going to be separated from my family? Here we are. We have the freedom. We are in a country where you can tell anyone anything, and yet we walk around, what if they don't like me? What if they get mad? What if I offend them? I'm just saying we got to wake up a little bit. And what we have in churches all across this country are Christians with their heads in the clouds like the disciples. 
I want to have a three-year Bible study about end times prophecy, but I won't tell anybody about Jesus. Here I am telling you, why are you staring into the clouds? Look around you at the people who live around you, who work with you, who come to family, family reunions with you, and witness to them. Tell them about Jesus. He's coming back. Don't worry about it. Get your head out of the clouds and get to work. That's my challenge. That's my encouragement. Jesus gave us this mission not so we can just grow in head knowledge. He taught us not so we can just grow in head knowledge, but so that we could be effective for him, so we could go out and tell people for him. We're called to build the church, build the kingdom of God, tell people about Jesus, and push back the darkness with the light of Jesus Christ. That's our mission. Do you accept that mission? If you accept it, God will use you. I'm preaching to the choir right now. This is a 430 service. They're like, oh, we accept it. We accept it. All right, here's the next thing. Jesus is with the Father. Jesus is currently with the Father. Now we're transitioning from what did happen to what is happening. Maybe you've wondered, where is Jesus? Uh, I've been waiting to meet him. I met you out in the lobby after church last week, but when do I get to meet the man? Okay, well, here's where he is. He is with the Father. John 16, 28. Yes, I came from the Father into the world, and now I will leave the world and return to the Father. That's what Jesus said. Where did he come from? Where did he go? He went back to the Father, just like he said he would, right? That's where he is right now. And maybe you thought, man, it'd be really nice if Jesus was here. He could help me with some things. I could really use his help with some things. You need to know he is helping you right now. He is with the Father, and he is helping you. It says in Romans 8, verse 34, who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us, and he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. He's in the throne room of heaven. And you need to know that God can hear your praises and your prayers from the throne room of heaven. Anytime you come to church or you're praying in your, your house, whatever, when you wake up and you're wondering, like, does this even matter? Remember, listen to my words. Take it to the bank. He hears you. He hears you. He loves your prayers. He loves your praises. Even if you don't have a good voice, he loves it when you sing his praise. I, I think like, I think spiritually there's like an auto-tune that happens between your voice and heaven. It's like, ooh, yes, so good. So Jesus is in heaven at the right hand of the Father, and there is an enemy, there's an accuser, Satan, who loves to accuse the saints. That's what he does. It's like his hobby. He accuses the saints. So when we sin as Christians, because we are Christians, but we do sin, we're not perfect yet. We still wrestle with sin, unfortunately, although we live saved by grace. Satan, the accuser, comes, and he wants to accuse us in the courtroom of heaven. He says, there he is, God, one of your people, says he's a Christian, but look, he sinned again. And that's the voice that we tend to hear in our heads, yeah. right? Whenever we do mess up, like, man, I feel so bad. I'm supposed to be a Christian. I feel guilty. You need to know in the courtroom of heaven that Jesus is pleading for us. He is your defense attorney. So every time the enemy accuses you, Jesus just smiles. And he stands up and he says, uh, this crime has already been wiped from the record books. The punishment for that crime has already been executed by yours truly. So my client is not guilty. So 
You've got the best defense attorney pleading on your behalf in the courtroom of heaven day in and day out. When you're awake and when you're sleeping, Jesus is working for you. He's helping, for, he's helping you. 1 Timothy 2, verse 5, For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. He mediates between God and men. We couldn't get to God on our own, but Jesus bridges the gap so that our prayers get to God, so that we can have relationship with God. There is one mediator. And I wanted to point this out because depending on what religious background you might have come from, if you came from a religious background, you might have been misinformed believing that there are multiple mediators between God and man. I just want you to understand this. Praying to a saint, waste of your time. Praying to the Virgin Mary, who's not actually a virgin anymore, waste of your time. We love her. She's great. I'm looking forward to meeting her. But there is one meet. You only need to pray to one person. That's right. You can pray directly to God himself. Why would you go through a middleman when you can pray straight to the ears of God? So I don't need to waste my time praying to St. Michael, the New Orleans saints, any saints, because... There is already a mediator between God and man. It's Jesus. I think about Stephen in the book of Acts being stoned because he was a follower of Jesus. He was being literally stoned to death. That's where they pick up rocks and kill you with them. And it says this in Acts chapter 7. Stephen sees heaven. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. I want you to see this because we just read that Jesus has seated at the right hand of God. Now Stephen sees him standing at the right hand of God. He's seated sometimes and he's standing sometimes. Here's what you need to realize. Jesus hates seeing his people suffer in any way. He despises when you suffer in any way. Whenever you get sick, whenever someone is persecuting you or making fun of you for being a Christian, whenever your family member scoffs at you, whenever you grieve or mourn or lose something or struggle or have to wrestle with temptation, it bothers Jesus and he stands up. He sta- if you think no one has ever stood up for you, you're wrong. Jesus stands up for you. Like a fighter who's about to go into the fight. He stands up and he's like, oh man, let me in there. I cannot wait to defend my boy, right? And the day is coming when he's going to help us, when he's coming to set these things right. He's interceding on our behalf. He stands up for us. He's praying for us. He's watching what happens in our lives and he cares about us. And here's where it kind of shifts, right? We're going to shift now from what is happening to what will happen. Jesus will return for his people, right? He stands up because he's not having it when his people suffer. But you got to realize he's waiting. He's waiting for the day. He's just like in the throne room of heaven. And he's like, is it time yet? No. Okay. Okay. All right. And he's praying. And he's waiting. And he's like, oh, man, it's going to be so good. It's going to be so good. And the day is coming when he will return. He will return for his people. Jesus is with the Father. One day he's coming for us. Okay, one time when I was younger, my dad took me to the mall, and I got lost at the mall. Uh, really what I mean is my dad lost me at the mall. <laughs> so I'm walking around the mall, and I'm like, Daddy, and I'm like looking for him, and I'm, I'm scared, I'm crying, uh, and don't judge me, okay? It was a long time ago. It was like 10 years ago, and so... <laughs> I found a security guard, and he, like, picked me up, put me on his shoulders, and he's, like, walking around the mall with me on his shoulders, and I'm like, Danny, and, like, finally I see him, he comes around the corner, and I'm like, Danny, 
And like, I'm like, oh, it's my, you know, because I was scared. I was afraid. Um, and so we were reunited and I felt so much better. And I, I need you to understand that Jesus is returning for you, yes. right? The only reason to be scared in life is if you think that God has abandoned you. And although you might be temporarily separated from you, he's coming back for you. He is returning for you. And there's all kinds of amazing things about this to celebrate. The first thing is that death is kicked in the face forever. That's the theological term. Death gets kicked in the face, 1 Corinthians 15. But let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. And we who are living will also be transformed. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. Then, when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. This is from Hosea 13. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? So first, what will happen? The dead in Christ will rise. The dead in Christ is anybody who believes in Jesus who has already died before he comes back. All of those people who die as believers, they're going to rise first when Jesus returns. Okay, they're going to come up out of the ground. Graves are going to bust open. Poof, like the walking dead. Everybody comes up, and they're going to be risen from the grave. Okay, and then people ask me all the time, what if I was cremated, though? And I'm always like, it's too bad. Sorry. No, I'm just kidding. No, I'm kidding. If God, here's what I say. If God can form man from dust, he can reform man from dust. Right? That's no problem for God. Right? And, and like, just like if, if people who are lost at sea and their body gets eaten by a little fish, God's going to bring all that back together. <laughs> and you're going to be back. Like he's, he can, no problem for God. No problem. So they're going to rise first, and then there will be people who are still alive on the earth when Jesus returns, and they're going to rise up as well. And we're all going to be transformed instantly, and we're going to leave behind our decaying human mortal body, and it will instantly be transformed into an immortal, glorified body, the way that Jesus had a glorified body after he rose from the grave. He was the first fruits, the example of what's to come for us. So we can look at his example and see some things that we can learn from. Gives us an expectation of what to look forward to. Like we see this. We see that his disciples, they didn't recognize him at first. They were like, who are you? And then after a while, Jesus? Is that you? And I think that's how it's going to be for us. You know what I think it is? That we will become the most perfect version of ourselves. Okay, you will become the best version of you. That's why they didn't recognize Jesus, because it was Jesus, but a prettier version of Jesus, I think. They're like, who is that guy with that handsome jawline? Like, I, I think that's what it is, right? I think they're going to they're gonna recognize you, because God made you beautiful the way you are, but gravity does take an effect. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so this will be like you, but the best version of you, the perfect version of you. And what we know is you'll be free from all the effects of sin, all the effects of sin. So there will be no more sickness that affects your body. No more genetic defects. No more allergies. No more wear and tear, degeneration, any of the above. Those things will be gone forever. Right? So you're going to have a body in its prime, looking beautiful, and it's going to stay that way. 
And it's going to happen in the blink of an eye, the Bible says. The blink of an eye. Your diet took five years, and you didn't get anywhere. This is going to happen in the blink of an eye. Bodies by Jesus. It's going to be amazing. Right? And then we see some other things like Jesus. He like, he like appeared inside of rooms, teleported around. He, he ascended up into heaven. So I don't know. If you grew up watching superhero cartoons, we might be able to fly and teleport. I'm just saying there's a chance. Jesus ate food after he resurrected from the grave. He was physically there. He ate food. That tells me we're going to eat in heaven. We are going to eat. All the reviews for the food are really good. You're going to love it. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 says this, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout and with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. It's going to be this reunion in the air. Okay? We're going to meet Jesus there with all the saints. Everyone who has ever believed in him is going to be there. And we're going to be caught up. That's where we get the word rapture. People say the word rapture is not in the Bible. Yes, it is. It's right here, caught up. That's the English translation where we get this word. It comes from the, har the Greek word harpazo, which means to snatch, to catch up, to take away. The Latin version of that is raptoro, and that's where we get the word rapture in English. But it's in the Bible the same way that caught up is a translation of harpazo. So that's where that word comes from. We'll be seized off claimed by God, carried away. When is this going to happen? We don't know exactly when it's going to happen. We have some, some things that show us when to be ready and what to look out for. But people ask this, they ask, well, when is this going to happen? And the question Christians have is in relation to the tribulation. Have you ever heard of the tribulation? We have a lot of people in this church that haven't been Christians for a long time. You're like, what's the tribulation? My kids are a tribulation. I'm wondering, like... What are you talking about? Okay, so the tribulation is a seven-year period of time that is going to come, talked about in the Bible, uh, where God is going to deal with his people, Israel, and punish the unbelieving world. It will begin when what the Bible calls the Antichrist or the beast makes a seven-year peace treaty with Israel. Sacrifices will start taking place again in the temple in Jerusalem. Halfway through that, at three and a half years, the Antichrist will stop the sacrifices and demand that people start to worship him. And what the people call this then after from that point forward is the Great Tribulation, where God's wrath is poured out on the earth in an even more terrible way. And the end of that seven-year period, the tribulation will end, and Jesus will return to destroy his enemies. So in relation to that, the tribulation, when is the rapture going to happen? Because Christians want to know, like, if I'm still alive, am I going to live through that tribulation? Or is Jesus going to hit the eject button and take me out of here? Right. Right. So I'm going to tell you that there's three possible scenarios. And we don't know for certain 100%. That's why there's a debate theologically about this. But here are the possible scenarios in order from least likely to most likely. Least likely is a position called the post-tribulation rapture that says after the whole tribulation is over, then Jesus will return for his church. And if you happen to be alive when the tribulation starts, it's not going to be good for you. A lot of Christians will die, and then Jesus will come back. These people who think this way tend to, uh, I think, ignore a lot of what's in the Bible, and they tend to really get excited about these survivalist scenarios where they're going to go off into the mountains and survive during the tribulation. But fortunately for us, that's the least likely scenario to be true. The next possible scenario is the mid-tribulation. 
rapture. So halfway through, Jesus returns for his church. And then I think the most likely scenario by a lot is the pre-tribulation rapture. And I would say the majority of Christians hold this opinion, although not all. And there is room for disagreement. But the pre-tribulation position says that at the beginning of that time period, Jesus will take his church out of the earth. And I think that the scriptures lean heavily towards that position. I always say, prepare for the worst, hope for the best. But the actual Bible leads me to this uh, position. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 9. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up. This is the same passage uh, taking place around 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, talking about the return of Christ. It says, God did not appoint us to suffer wrath. Well, during the tribulation, there's going to be a lot of people suffering God's wrath. It says to encourage each other with these words. I'm not very encouraged if the news is that I have to live through the tribulation. Okay, so that's one thing. There's a lot more, but I only have time to share a couple things. Revelation 3, verse 10. Because you have obeyed my command to persevere, I will protect you from the great time of testing that will come upon the whole world to test those who belong to this world. Testing in tribulation, same thing. God says, I'm going to protect you from this time. So I think it's most likely that we will be ejected from this place before this happens. And then Jesus will return uh, at the end of the tribulation, to defeat his enemies, which I'm going to talk about in a minute. So when is the rapture going to happen? Nobody knows. And anyone who tells you that they know is crazy. The louder that they shout, I know when Jesus is returning, the more you should ignore them. Okay, I need to say this, unfortunately, because there are always people who get caught up in little predictions and prophecies and fairy tales and blood moon this, and I don't even know, right? Here's what it says in Matthew 24. Just read the actual Bible. However, no one knows the day or hour when these things will happen. Jesus is talking. Not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself. Only the Father knows. When the Son of Man returns, it will be like it was in Noah's day. In those days before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time Noah entered his boat. People didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them all away. That is the way it will be when the Son of Man comes. Two men will be working together in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding flour at the mill. One will be taken, the other left. So you too must keep watch, for you don't know what day your Lord is coming. You also must be ready all the time for the Son of Man will come when least expected. We don't know when he's going to return. That's why we have to be ready. I know I was a little kid. I grew up in church. And so anytime that my house got quiet, I was like, did the rapture happen? Mom? Mom, are you here? Uh, okay, just checking. I know I'm not the only one. Any church kid knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> like, Mom? Okay, good. Because my mom, my mom was going to be gone if that happened, and I didn't know about me. <laughs> so I was like, Mom, are you here? Okay, I'm good. I'm good. There's still time. Uh, but you can be ready, and you can have assurance of faith knowing, hey, if I've placed my trust in Jesus, whatever happens, I'm going to be ready. I'm going to be ready for it. Okay? Now, and as the world gets scary around us, we remember James 5, verse 8, you too must be patient. Take courage, for the coming of the Lord is near. Be patient 
We don't know how long it's going to be. God is patient. He's long-suffering because he wants to give more time for people who don't know him to hear about Jesus and come into faith so that they will be saved as well. So he's waiting. So in the meantime, we're supposed to take courage and look forward to the return of Jesus. General MacArthur left the Philippines in 1942, and as he was leaving, he declared, I shall return. He had to leave behind, by order of the president, 90,000 soldiers. He said, I'm going to return. These soldiers, they were captured by the Japanese. They suffered terribly. General MacArthur wanted to come back to set them free, but he had to wait two and a half years to return to the Philippine Islands. Two and a half years later, he finally returned. He said, better late than never, but I'm back. Unfortunately, only about one-third of the soldiers were still alive. And I think about our situation where as the world around us may become scary at times, we don't have to fear because we know we are not abandoned here. Jesus is returning for us, all right, and he will not lose anyone. Some of the American soldiers were lost during that period of time, but Jesus won't lose anyone. It says in John 10, verse 28, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. That's about you. You have eternal life through Jesus. No one will snatch you from the hand of God. Once you place your faith in Jesus, when you believe in him and trust him, it doesn't matter if you die before he comes back or if you're still alive, you are secure in Jesus Christ. So we can have faith. We can have peace in Jesus because we know the outcome of this battle. Okay, we know the outcome. Here's the next thing. Jesus will destroy his enemies. He will. He will destroy his enemies. I'm a big football fan. Any football fans in the house? Okay, Cardinals fans in the house. The future's bright, right? I don't know about right now, but the future's bright. There's a rule at Generation Church is that you don't tell your pastors any scores of any football games. Okay, because there's this thing called DVR, and I want to watch it after church. I want to live through the moment. I want to experience the suspense because I'm a church serving Jesus. Let me have this, please. <laughs> so if you tell me the score of a football game, I will pray for a plague of locusts to come upon your house. <laughs> like I'll fast and pray every trick in the book, right? Because I'm mad if you tell me. I want the suspense. And I like suspense when I'm watching football, but I don't like suspense when it comes to life. I want to know I'm good. I've got this. It's going to be okay. You need to know when it comes to eternity, when it comes to your soul, there is no suspense. That's right. There is no suspense because we've already read the back of the book. We know the outcome of this battle. We know that we win. We know that Jesus is returning for his people, and we know that Jesus will defeat his enemies. There's no suspense to this plot line. This isn't like uh, Luke Skywalker versus Darth Vader, like who's going to win. It's nothing like that. It's not this epic struggle. It's just Jesus and losers. Okay, I just need you to get this. I need you to know who Jesus is. He came the first time as a sacrificial lamb. He's coming back as a roaring lion to take what is his. Revelation 19, verse 11. Then I saw heaven opened, and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. The first time Jesus rode into Jerusalem, it was on the back of a donkey. He came in humbly as a servant. He's coming back riding a white horse, this stallion, into battle, and he is coming as the King of kings and Lord of lords. He says this. He says, if you're not for me, you're against me. At this point, it's too late to choose him. 
You're either for him or against him, and if you're not for him, it does not go well for you. I'm just going to give you some spoilers tonight to help you make some good decisions. When God says vengeance is mine, he really means vengeance is mine. It's going to happen starting now, right? This is when Jesus takes vengeance for all the things that have happened, right? The sin, the suffering that his people have endured, and he's going to physically come to earth and deal with his enemies. It says he's going to touch down on the Mount of Olives in Zechariah 14. Then the Lord will go out to fight against those nations as he has fought in times past. On that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives east of Jerusalem. This is an actual physical place by Jerusalem. You could fly there tonight. You could go to the Mount of Olives and stand there and be on the very place where Jesus is going to physically touch the earth again. If you want, you could stay there and wait for him. I don't know. But... (laughs) This is where he is going to return. And it says that all the nations of the, war, uh, the world are going to come out to war against him. Revelation 17, 14 says, Together they will go to war against the Lamb. That's Jesus. But the Lamb will defeat them because he is Lord of all lords and King of all kings. And his called and chosen and faithful ones will be with him. So all these nations are going to come out to fight Jesus. They get in their tanks, they get in their jets, they bring their missiles, and they come to fight the Son of God. And it doesn't go well for them. Because he's the Son of God. And it says that we're going to be with him. We're going to be riding behind him. He's going to be on this white stallion. I'm going to be on a white pony. I'm going to be like, go, Jesus, go, right? Back in the old days when soldiers went into battle, you know, they went into battle getting their weapons ready. They're sharpening their swords. You know, and in our day-to-day, they're locking, loading their weapons. They're getting ready to go to a fight, and they know we're all going into battle. We might not all come back. We might lose some people. But in this battle, we're not going to lose a single person. That's right. And you and I aren't even going to have to lift a finger. We're just going to be falling behind Jesus with a front-row seat to the greatest victory that's ever been experienced on the earth. We're just going to be watching Jesus. Just do it. It says this. It says this in Isaiah 11, verse 4. He will give justice to the poor and make fair decisions for the exploited. The earth will shake at the force of his word, and one breath from his mouth will destroy the wicked. One breath from his mouth. No ninja moves necessary. Just Jesus saying, nope, boof, everybody's done. All of his enemies are done. And we're going to be there. I'm glad I'm on his side, right? I picked the right side. Christianity, I knew it was right, right? It's going to be so good. God says vengeance is mine. This is where it takes place. Jesus is not a pacifist. He is patient. He is not a pacifist. He wages a righteous war at this point. He is patient, and then the day is coming when he will destroy his enemies. He was soft-spoken, gentle, and patient with people when he walked the earth before because he loves people and he doesn't want anyone to perish. When he comes back, it's as the king of kings and lord of lords. The Bible says he will rule with an iron rod, and none of, nobody is ever going to overturn his kingdom. Right? We won't have to have elections anymore because we'll have the perfect king forever. So here's what it says. As we go through life and we're going to experience hard things, I'm not, I'm not putting those things down and saying that they're not hard. 
Sometimes people suffer, even though they're Christians. Uh, people in this room right now are experiencing suffering sometimes in different ways. Uh, here's what it says in Revelation 5. As it talks about the end, one of the 24 elders said to me, Stop weeping. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the heir to David's throne, has won the victory. So we need, we need to know, though sorrow might come for the night, joy comes in the morning. Jesus is coming back. In Revelation 22, verse 20, he who is the faithful witness to all these things, that's Jesus, says, yes, I am coming soon. And we say, amen, come, Lord Jesus. That's our cry as the church, as the church of Jesus Christ. Come, Lord Jesus. As you wait, we're going to keep telling people about you. We're going to continue our mission. But we're looking forward to your return because we know that everything that you do is going to be so much better than anything we've experienced up until this point. He came the first time as a humble, suffering servant. He's coming back the next time as a conquering king. The first time he came to poor parents born in a manger, he's coming back to establish a kingdom that will never end. He's going to rule and reign. He brought truth. He's coming back with judgment. And so we can live with the expectation, with the joy, with the excitement of knowing that whatever we go through in this life, Jesus will return and he is bringing the victory. Okay? So encourage yourself with that. And I just want to ask you this. Are you living your life in a way that you would be excited and ready for Jesus to return? And if you've already placed your faith in Jesus, then you're ready for him to return. Uh, but I want to ask this. As a Christian, are you living today the way that you want to finish? Are you living today in a way that if Jesus came back tonight, you would say, I'm ready. I've been fulfilling my purpose and living the mission that you called me to. Maybe in some ways you've been on the sideline up till now. And I would say, if you have, there's still time to get on track and get focused on what really matters. And if you're not a Christian, if you haven't placed your faith in Jesus, there's still time to do that as well. So I'm going to ask everyone just to bow their heads for a moment. Just a moment of privacy between you and God. If you'd say, hey, I want to get off the sidelines. I want to get in the battle. I want to work and do what the Lord has called me to, to tell people about him as a Christian. But I need help. So I want to talk to the Christians really quick. If you're a Christian and you say, I have wrestled with boldness, I've wrestled with insecurity, but I want to tell more people about Jesus. Just between you and God, nobody's looking around, but just raise your hand right now if that's you. I'm going to pray for the Holy Spirit to just help you right now. God, I pray for boldness for your people. I pray that you will impart us with a fresh anointing of your power, of courage, of strength. God, give us the wisdom to know when to say those words and how to say those words so that people will come to know eternal life through you. In Jesus' name. And then if you're here, if you're not a believer, if you're not yet a Christian, I want to make sure that you have a chance to be ready for the return of Christ. So if you need to take that step of faith tonight, you can. And it's just a matter of saying, "I God, I need you. And I recognize that Jesus is the only way. And I'm placing all my trust in him. This is the most important decision you could ever make. If you want to know, man, I'm ready for when Jesus returns. My eternity is secure in him. And just pray this prayer with me. I'm just going to lead you in a prayer. Uh, just you can agree this with me in your heart. Just say, God, I know that I've sinned and I need forgiveness. 
I believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay the price for my sins, and I believe that he rose again on the third day so that I could have eternal life and victory over death. I believe that he's coming back again, and I want to live for him until that day. Help me to do that. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's stand to our feet. God is so good. If you just prayed that prayer and accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want to celebrate with you right now before we go anywhere. I'm not going to embarrass you, but if you just prayed to accept Jesus into your life, we got to celebrate that. I'm going to ask you just to shoot your hand up on the count of three. One, God loves you. Two, welcome to the family. Three, if that's you, so good. Anybody else? Awesome. Awesome. Over here. All right. Come on. God has been good to us, so we're going to praise him, right? We have a hope through Jesus. Let's sing it out. Come on, lift your voice. 